Hey, podcast listeners, this is Steve. Episode 129 is a little different. We're talking to Kurt Bresner, who's a senior advisor and has been doing this for more than 12 years with both ICMA and FCCMA. And he takes us back to some of the basics, which I really like. He talks about an article by a Cookingham called Food for Thought, Guidepost for City Managers. And he also references back the... Uh, code of ethics of, for city managers. And we talk through some of those basic things. It's really kind of nice to listen to that stuff every once in a while to kind of go, yeah, this reminds me of why we do this, how we do this. Kurt's a great guy, gives so much of his time, voluntarily so, helping managers in transition, helping local governments find highly qualified people, a true uh, city manager's heart, a true public servant, still after being retired for over a decade, still giving back much of his time and his talents, as you will see. Listen up. Greetings, I'm Steve Van Cor, and this is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host, each episode, we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share both interesting and useful insights into the operations of local government here in the Sunshine State. Our recent, most recent uh, podcast was with uh, uh, Dr. John Daly from the University of South Florida. You know, we, this mixed up a little different. He's not a city manager, but he gives guidance and counsel to city managers. We're going to do likewise today with Kurt Bresner, who has a PhD also in life, in that he was had extensive experience as a city manager, both in our state and not in our state, and has served now for going on year 13 as a senior advisor to FCCMA. Kurt, thanks for, thanks for being on. Appreciate it. Well, thank you. So what does emeritus mean? Well, it means that <laughs> um, you have served your time as a active senior advisor, and they want you to stick around uh, to help out uh, if you're available and interested. So you are selected by the board uh, for FCCMA to continue your service albeit maybe in a little different, um, um, it's not as structured as it used to be. Um, I like it because I can pick and choose what I'd like to do now instead of being assigned responsibilities. So um, you just have a certain amount of freedom uh, that's associated, but it allows me to maintain my contact with the profession and to continue to give back to it. Keep, keep a toe in the water. And the pay scale is still the same, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, they still yeah. uh, they still pay the overtime of zero. Uh, base salary is still zero. And uh, the other payback, though, is really the opportunity to help people. Oh, uh, you know, I was trying to have a little fun there and you got real serious. <laughs> but with inflation, when you figure in the inflation indexes, it's still zero. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> well, but it's, I, I, it, it's still it's still a real nice. It's a, still a nice job. No, and and I wanted to make the point that you do this out of the goodness of your heart and there's strong desire to be a lifelong city manager, somebody who really cares about the profession, who cares about these communities and who cares about doing the right thing, uh, irrespective of the incredible pay that city managers already get, right? Right. <laughs> so so um, I, I, you wrote a really comprehensive uh, response to our podcast questions. And I want to start with, you know, 
something because I, I tell my students in my class saying just because something is old doesn't make it bad just because something is new doesn't make it good right and with for younger generation that's an important component to say look there's some really good counsel out there that's almost 100 years old you should follow it there's a lot of good philosophy out there we talk about marshall McLuhan in the 1950s and early 60s it was a long time ago right but you you reference a book called guideposts for city managers um I guess it was originally published in the 1950s, and it's really been your your guiding star. Tell us a little bit about the book and and why why that came to be your guiding star. Well, actually, it wasn't a book. It was a um, basically a three page uh, article uh, that oh. was published in Public Management by ICMA originally in 1956. Um, I happened to catch it uh, in 1975 when I just started as an assistant to the city manager in Naperville, and I'm reading public management there as a new um, um, city manager wannabe, and uh, I was struck uh, by the um, wealth of information uh, that Cookingham had put together. ICMA apparently felt it was worth to publish it again so that this basically the 1975 edition was the second publishing of it i liked it so much that i persuaded icma to publish it a third time in 2008 so i did a article for them and suggested but uh, cookingham was kind of a neat guy he uh started out as a railway um a surveyor in illinois and um, he was the first city manager in Kansas City, uh, Missouri. And they found out about him in an article that was in Reader's Digest. And apparently they decided, you know, we're starting this new form of government called city manager. And this guy Cookingham up in Illinois sounds like a pretty interesting guy. And uh, they ultimately hired him as their first city manager. And uh, what these guideposts are, are really a collection of um, ideas and practices that he followed in a very successful career. Um, and he was appointed in 1940 and he retired uh, from them in 1959. So, you know, he had a very long tenure as their city manager there. So I had, I found these, I used them, and there are, you know, several of them that I'd like to maybe focus on perhaps today, if you know, I, like. I would, I would love to we'll walk through some of those because what I find in it is at some level, it's kind of a, you know, it's like, when you go back and get your grandmother's recipe and it's simple, you know, the scram, the old classic scrambled eggs recipe, you know, a little bit of butter, lower heat, some salt and makes really delicious eggs. And in this regard, some of this counsel is really Blocking and tackling 101, kind of some basic stuff, some salt and butter, and you get some goodness out of it. So, so let's start with 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 the first one about um, the role and 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 what your perspective of the council itself should be. Okay, well, the 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 guidepost basically says never forget that the city council, to the best of its ability, expresses the will of the people. There'll be time when you don't understand what the council takes certain actions, but you will find that the council is generally right and the members express public opinion as they see it and as they learn from their constituents. And I think that this one is a real tough one sometimes for city managers to understand, uh, especially in the heat of the moment and especially if the council is divided. 
and also when there's been a change on the council uh, following an election. But I think it's still very good advice um, to follow. Just um, stop talking and listen is basically what this says. And it basically says that the council um, has a good pulse of the community and you need to pay attention to that. What you know, and and those who are regular listeners know this is a personal beef I have. In the legislative process, we have partisan elections, closed primaries, where only a small sliver of the electorate decides who gets to represent the rest of us, right? But we don't have that in city government because we tend to have fewer gerrymandered districts. They tend to be every voter who lives in that district gets to select who's going to represent them uh, on the city government. And as a result of that, I think you're right. I think that whether you agree with their perspective or not, it is usually a digested perspective from the from the electorate at large. And they do seem to get there, right? They get sometimes, and this is true of, of all democracies, it takes us a while to get there. It's a sloppy, inefficient process. But at the end of the day, the will of the people can be sloppy and inefficient, uh, but we we tend to get there. You know, and it, it's funny because we talk about this, whether it's in crisis communications or you're teaching some students or a city manager in the cold calculus of a podcast. Right. And I say to somebody, don't lie. And they go, of course, why would I lie? Well, we all we all tend to exaggerate lies by omission. And this is one of those examples where in the coldness of a of a podcast where we're not highly emotionally charged, you say, well, of course, the council, there are bosses and they get it right. Can you think of any examples in your career or others you've observed where you really had to drag the city manager cricket kicking and screaming on that? Well, in my, you know, my own career, um, you know, there were situations where the um, council took an early position on a development proposal um, that I felt was beneficial to the community. And in really in retrospect, it was turned down. I was a little baffled by it because I really thought that, and maybe I was too close to the development side of it, but ultimately um, a subsequent land use for that particular property came in uh, that was really perfect for the community. Now, the, the council, they were evaluating the earlier proposal, and they basically said to staff, we're not interested in this. We really feel that we can do better. And um, they were right. They were right. And it was it was hard for, for me, and it was hard for staff who really thought that what was being proposed um, was going to be a benefit to the community. But in retrospect, the uh, council was was correct. And Kurt, and, is it also, even if they're not correct, right? And, and you can't know these things, right? Because they're not, they're not terribly knowable things. But even if they're not correct, I, I, what I like about this is the attitude of the city manager needs to be that they are. Because guess what? They're the policymakers. Guess what? They're the interface with the public. And the public has every right to be wrong. Consequently, so does the commission. So what I take away from that first principle is, yes, treat them as though what they're doing is right. Your job is to follow through, put it in your heart and go forward and not try to undermine it. Because even if they're wrong, your job is to implement the will of the commission. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. And 
I think a kind of a parallel track here too, in terms of, of the role and the responsibility of manager is that you're an agent of democracy. And you really need to make sure that the will of the people is carried forward and you need to do that faithfully. So, you know, you have a responsibility not only to the to the council or the commission, but you also have a responsibility to the people. And um, I think most managers get that. And I think most managers. Think Even if they disagree with it, they're like, OK, we'll do that. And of course. Let's put some bumpers on there. So not talking about, hey, you need to murder your staff uh, or you need to drown all everybody's pets at the, or, you know, something really horrible or un highly unethical or even illegal. You're talking about within the bounds of, hey, this development, that development, that zoning, that, you know, not zoning that you 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 need to do their 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 bidding. The second thing you have in there is and love this, the average fellow with whom you talk. Uh, whether it's a member of the council, the staff, uh, you need to speak in language that people can understand. And I think that translates, obviously, across all media as well. But expand upon that uh, a, a little bit. Yeah, and I think that, you know, you have to understand that this was originally written in 1956. So some of the language is dated. That's why I love fellow. And, but nevertheless, don't use jargon. Don't gaslight. I mean, there's just so much of that in the federal and the state government now. Um, you know, I'm I'm saying really work real hard to make local government the oasis of clarity and brevity and just get, get to the point, get the communication out and communicate it in a way um, that someone who is not involved in the day-to-day -day activities of a municipality will understand uh, the best. So it really, and I know that I had a constant conversations with staff to get them to de-jargonize their conversations uh, with citizens and just to put themselves in the position of the citizen and try to get them to communicate in a way uh, that was clearer and can be brought, bring a point home, but in a way that the citizen can understand and not feel like they're being talked down to. Interesting. And, and and also, I think when you speak with people in terms that they can understand, you do a better job of overall communicating. Right. By the way, a funny historical uh, Florida story. We had elected a, a gentleman by the name of Jeb Bush to be our governor. Jeb's name, his actual real name is John Ellis Bush. Everybody called him by his initials an acronym, if you were, Jeb. One of the first memos he sent out is the, on, on this subject. Maybe he had read this, this paper as well, that in all matters and all things, we need to speak the language of the people. He wrote this memo to all of his agency heads. And let's avoid using jargon. Let's avoid using acronyms. Let's stay away from that. Let's spell things out in, in language that people can clearly understand. Sincerely, Jeb. <laughs> don't use acronyms except my name's an acronym i loved it i loved it uh but i obviously his heart was in the absolute right place um and so the other principle one of the other ones was getting acquainted with your employees as rapidly as possible uh, you know we we and you're familiar with this kurt that we have small medium and large sized governments if you're the city manager of the city of fort lauderdale or miami or tampa that's a difficult thing to do. So talk a little bit about 
why that why you feel that's so important to get to know the employees because you, you're setting a lot of standards here, right? Talk to the public in a way that they understand, honor and respect the will of the council, get to know the council, spend time with them, but also spend time with your employees. And I keep thinking to myself, all right, when do you get to do your job? Talk a little bit about getting to know your employees. I think it's very important. Um, it's important to invest that time, no matter the size of the organization, uh, to get out, get to the job sites, um, go into workplaces, um, have opportunities for um, staff to interact with you. I had uh, coffee, or I had a breakfast with the boss, uh, which was a uh, very popular program where employees were selected to have uh, breakfast with me. Um, How often then, did you do that? Uh, we did it on a on a monthly basis, and um, we we had uh, and we just selected individuals. And um, I made a point of um, communicating and talking with staff, getting a chance to meet with them. Um, I also just little things like sending out birthday cards uh, to staff. Uh, we had close to a thousand employees in Boynton Beach, but uh, we we've I, you know I signed personally signed birthday cards and put personal notes in as many of them as I could about positive things. Um, another thing that um, gets around in an organization is the fact that the manager cares, and um, there there are stories that are told about managers. Um, you know I can recall working really late when I was in Downers Grove. And um, the one of the custodians uh, came to the doorway and he just said, um, boy, Mr. B, I can tell the difference between you and the former manager. And I said, well, why, Dan, why is that? He said, well, he said, um, if you look and I'm cleaning the door jam here. Well, I clean the, the marks up near the top here when you're the manager. And when the uh, former manager was here, uh, I always had to clean the marks near the bottom of the door, indicating that the 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 analogy here was the the manager the the staff came in crawling on their knees to the former manager, where the the current manager uh, they came in to talk to him um, directly. And what uh, an interesting metaphor! Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. And I, you know, here's here is a, a custodian that had had long service with the village. And had this observation about that. So these are the kind of stories uh, that are told about a good manager uh, who has an opportunity to get out and to, to meet with their staff. Um, the other thing that's kind of important here is that sometimes you need to bend the rules just a little bit. Um, I had a situation in, in Boynton where we had a firefighter, union contract, basically very limited leave. He got a call to go to the show, possibly, for the Detroit Tigers. And the chief came in and said, you know, what can we do to help this guy out? And I said, well, chief, um, you know, let's I don't have a problem uh, given giving him the leave that's necessary to take a shot at this. Um, but we've got to work an arrangement out with the union. So I met with the union president and we did a basically a sidebar agreement that technically violated the contract in order to get him up to Detroit so that he could take a shot at going to the major leagues. Well, he didn't make it, but he came back. And I can guarantee you that's an employee who told the story about the, the city 
that went that extra mile for him. And I'll bet that the balance of his career at the city of Boynton Beach was a very good one and a very positive one because he thought very highly of an organization that gave him the chance. Uh, and we could have said no. We could have said, no, nope, union contract says no. But we figured out a way to make it happen. So I, I love that story because it shows, you know, we talk about living your values and we say, my values are we value our employees. We care about them. And then the moment you need to do something to benefit them that might hurt something else, you're like, well, sorry, we can't give you that time off. And by you living those values, you showed people that you you really do honor the people that work for you and you're willing to. And, and I get the I get the concern. I bet you a lot of folks listening is like, yeah, but the moment I bend the rules for one person, I'm gonna have to bend them for everybody else. My answer to that is okay. That's that's what being a good leader does is say, how can I help these people? How can I do a better job? Um, you know, and sometimes we have rules for a reason. Three minute time on the microphone because we've had a series of jerks get up and scream and yell at the commission for no apparent reason over nonsense. So you limit the time. And then every once in a while, something different comes along and you say, you know, we need to give this person 10 minutes because this is a really important presentation. And so right. you bend you bend those rules. Now, of course, you have to stay steady and constant. Anything else from Cookingham's book? Uh, I'm sorry, Cookingham's article that you'd like to share? You know, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, and then the, the companion volume to this, though, is the ICMA Code of Ethics. And so I really kind of had both of these constantly available to me. And, and the ICMA Code of Ethics, I think, is really um, very good in that I like the version that's available uh, that provides examples. And um, this is a living document. ICMA has done a good job of keeping it as current and updated over the years. So, um, you know, and there are a couple tenets there, uh, you know, that talks about, um, well, let's see, number three, um, ethical government um, that I've had to use as a senior advisor uh, when one of the under unwritten, well, in the code of ethics, it talks about if you make a commitment to an employer, you need to make a two-year commitment unless something really goes poorly for you that it becomes untenable. And I've had to really counsel a number of individuals who are looking to jump to another position well before that two-year timeline. And I've had to circle back to the ICMA Code of Ethics and basically say, well, you know, um, you really do need to kind of think about that in terms of the impact. So from even as a senior advisor, I've been able to use the um, the Code of Ethics. Uh, the other one is, of course, don't oh, get By the way, and that, that goes back to living your values, right? You say, I'm an ethical person. I belong to the ICMA. I support these things. And then a better opportunity comes along six months after you've been on the job. You got to live that value. And, and, and there's, you know, to me, something like that, jumping like that is not just the ethical, correct thing to do. You made a commitment. Hey, you know what? It wouldn't. It's that old Jerry Seinfeld routine about the about the keeping a reservation in a restaurant. Right. Well, you can take the reservation. Keeping the reservation is the actual hard part. Right. I made a commitment to stay here for two years. Sometimes it's hard to do that again, unless there's an abusive situation or something. Uh, but then there's pragmatic benefits to that. 
uh, I was talking to uh, my son last year about he didn't like a job. I said, well, don't don't destroy your resume. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you'll have worked at this place for six months and you can't use it as a reference anymore because they're going to, well, what did you do for those six months? Well, I screwed over my former employee employer. Now you've you've hurt your career. So there's ethical goodness there, but there's also pragmatic goodness in that. Right. And correct. When, you know, when I review resumes for uh, when I help out a small town, find a city manager, I'm looking at that, uh, that type of information on on a, a resume uh, to indicate. And if I see a lot of jumping around, uh, that candidate is not going to be considered as highly as somebody who has some tenure and some longevity in places. Yeah. And you're fooling yourself. You think, well, we'll be the ones where this person will settle down. They've they've had eight jobs in eight years and you think they're going to stay for 20 years with you. The chances are very slim that they would. So that's good counsel. What else in the code of ethics uh, stands out to you that you like? Well, the other one saved me a lot of money over the years, and that is don't get involved in local elections. Um, so, you know, I don't <laughs> get contributions. I don't sign petitions. Uh, I register as a nonpartisan, uh, you know, and it's just nice. I, I like that. I mean, that gives me a certain degree of uh, autonomy and freedom. Um, and um, there's been there there were occasions um, in Illinois, particularly uh, where a um, a a strongly partisan elected official would kind of get in my face a little bit. And I just have to push back and say, you know, look, I, I really um, I really don't need to get involved with my my local uh, my my political beliefs here, because that really does not have any impact on my job here as your village manager. And uh, it's nice. I, I so I appreciated that. I didn't like I said, well, no, and you see it, you see it with some regularity. And I and I think this is the curse uh, of being in city government, right? especially at the highest levels of city government, where you're expected to do great things. And somebody else gets the credit for it, right? You don't cut the ribbon, This the mayor cuts the ribbon. And the moment you start rising above that din, I think that's a, I think that's almost the death knell to a city manager. The moment they start naming a new development after you, a new project after you, and you're elevated now, and now also politically elevated and politically engaged, it's just a short walk off, off you know, what, what do they say? A long walk off a short pier because it's it's only a matter of time. Uh, so you're 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 talking about being humble, not getting involved in the elections because that's a lose lose proposition, right? Uh, even if your person wins, that can cause that can come back to hurt you later on. And so uh, I think that's really good counsel. Yeah, and last week I saw a picture in the newspaper of a unnamed um, town uh, south of here. Uh, where a smack dab in the middle of the picture of a groundbreaking was the city manager. And I'm going, oh, yeah, don't do that. Don't stay do in, that. <laughs> stay in the background. In fact, I, ha I have a client and we call it being a city manager. He's the CEO of a major of a large company, quarter billion dollar year company. And when I say, Mike, be the city manager, be the city manager, be the city manager, because I want him to know let others get the credit. You do the behind the scenes work, keep a low profile, and you're going to be there a very long time. And I learned that obviously from doing doing this podcast. Yeah. Good. What else in the code of ethics jumps out at you? Uh, I I think the the overall tenure really of the of the whole document is um you know, just it just covers everything. It covers really so between the cooking ham and the tenant. It just really gave me um, the ability 
to kind of work myself through any issues. And if there were some tough issues that were facing me, I would consult either document uh, to kind of get some guidance. So uh, I would view it more of a looking at it from a 5,000 foot view of it really providing um, really two sets of guideposts that are really very complementary. Well, what I like about that too, you know, when you're just getting started, you may have read it. And I would advise everybody to have things like that you go back to and read and hit refresh and remind yourself of what your priorities are, what your ethical standards are, because when you learn it, and again, in the cold environment of a classroom, right, when nobody's emotional, nobody's heat, you don't have the conflicts, of course I'm going to be ethical. Of course I'm not going to lie. Of course I'm not going to bend the rules. And you say, well, there are times when you're going to put in a conflict situation. Otherwise, <laughs> what's that expression about, you know, when you're at the top, you don't get the easy decisions. Those are resolved before they get to you. Okay, your your parks director should fix that problem with the little leagues fighting over each other for 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 time space on on a ball field. Uh, your police department, your police chief should be fixing the problems within the thing. But by the time they make it to your desk, they're complicated problems. So you do need whether it's the Cookingham guideposts or the ICMA code of ethics, have something to refer to when you're conflicted because those were written in the in the dry environment now that it's heated now that it's difficult those kind of guidance uh posts really can help you uh, do a good job uh so let me switch gears with you senior advisor tell us again what a senior advisor for uh, iccma fccma does all right senior advisor is a retired um city county administrator manager and uh someone who has served um at least in the view of the organizations with distinction uh, that has been selected um, to um, continue service as a volunteer. And it can include um, uh, providing assistance to, in Florida's case, uh, for the smaller communities under 10,000, we'll provide on a pro bono basis assistance to um, hire a chief administrative officer and uh, we'll, we'll assist them in the search. Um, it also involves uh, working with uh, in-service personnel uh, who may be having some um, issues, employment issues, and they want to talk to you in a confidential way. And then uh, the other area that, uh, and I have, I've had heavy involvement in that, as well as the last area that I've been heavily involved in uh, has been working with what we call members in transition, uh, which is a very polite word for being unemployed. Um, you know, and, and it's something that, you know, when I, I have been involved with with uh, the League of Cities and the League of uh, other groups related to that, FCCMA, uh, Communicators Association, et cetera. And when I first heard about managers in transition, I was like, wait, what? But now I've come to understand and realize that it is a, it is an important component of being a city manager to fully understand that through no fault of your own, you find yourself unemployed. And it happens to so many highly competent, hardworking, highly ethical city managers that suddenly, for whatever reason, the council said, by the way, can we agree on one thing, Kurt? When the city council does that to a city manager, we can say that was when they got one thing wrong. Because <laughs> you said, they, we got to presume they're right until they, they say, we don't want you anymore. Well, that was the one thing you got wrong. But now you're no longer the city manager. So it, it's not necessarily conflict. But I find that it's an important program because of the transitional nature of the job. Right. Well, and I will also say that um, kudos to FCCMA because I've talked with police chiefs who have been fired 
and I've talked with managers who have been fired and the police chiefs will say, man, no one talked to me. No one gave me any type of support. And yet you talk to managers who have had to leave their positions or assistant managers. FCCMA has really done a fabulous job of making sure that there's a support network available so that peers contact and work with. So it's not just the senior advisors that are doing this. Uh, it's members of FCCMA who actually step forward to provide some assistance. And I will say, I will say from firsthand experience, when I had to leave a community in Illinois quickly, uh, when I was fired, one of the things that really helped me through that tough time was the fact that colleagues and peers contacted me after I had been fired. And helped and you make the transition. You, st yeah. you talk about the empty key ring syndrome. Uh, never heard the expression. Um, tell me about that, because that was, sounded like a more of a personal journey. Yeah. I mean, the, the morning after I had been dismissed at two o'clock in the morning, I woke up the next day, looked down at my key ring, and there was a house key and there was a car key. And that was basically it. The key to the city hall was gone. The ID card was gone. And that was really kind of a symbol of lost authority and responsibility. And it kind of jarred me to look at that. And I viewed that kind of a symbol of, well, you're now transitioning to something else here. And it just, it really was just a, a kind of a sad time for me. No, it's an incredible metaphor, uh, and I'm sorry you went through that, uh, but it's an, it's a really good metaphor for a key literally opens something, usually a door, and now that door is closed to you and the power to open that door has been taken away from you, and that's got to be a really humbling experience. Yeah, it was. It really was, and uh, um, there, you know, there was a lot of anger in the community, and um but um, we had an agreement um, that we both both sides would basically not comment further on the departure. And I moved on. Yeah. And it is tough because from day one, you got all these really cool projects, all these really cool people you're working for, complicated issues, complicated personalities. And then one day you're like, my key ring is empty. Yeah, um, yeah kind of kind of tough stuff. So. Let me let me transition to our last subject then. Uh, in managers in transition, you talk a little bit about, you know, so uh, I'm out of work. I'm looking for a city manager job. Uh, what advice would you give to somebody who's getting ready to get that interview with a city or a county? I really recommend they do their homework and prepare. I'm, I'm, there's been so many resumes and cover letters. Uh, that I've seen over the years that um, are directed to the wrong, they had the wrong name of the, the town in the letter. Um, it, you know, it's very clear that not much time was spent putting together. And I really urge that people personalize and make sure that they do their research on a community. Um, I really recommend 
um, that they take the time to, and for it is easy because of of uh, the open uh, open meetings and open records. Yeah, you go to the website, you can read anybody's minutes, anybody's hearing. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah, and you can get the agenda package. You can get the uh, staff reports, and uh, I really suggest that um, if you're really interested in the community, um, take a look at the last six months of the council's agenda packets and materials to kind of get a flavor for what some of the community issues are. If you can talk to the former manager, uh, get some insights as to uh, what's available there. So you position yourself that when you make it to the interview and make sure that you do this before you send your letter in so that you wish you can reflect some of that. Um, if you make it to the interview, you're going to really demonstrate the council is going to going to say, wow, this person has really is interested in us. And so we're interested in them because they've taken the time to honor us um, by by looking at us and doing some research. And they're offering some suggestions or some ideas in the interview, and they're not even here yet. Boy, what happens if we offer them a job? Um, they might be they might be the best manager we've ever had. So there's it's almost like dating advice. Don't go on a date and just talk about yourself. No, do a little bit of background on the person you're meeting with, find out what their interests, what their likes are, what their dislikes are, so you can guide your conversation accordingly. Correct. And you know, I've I've attended so many interviews with managers, manager candidates for the smaller communities that I've helped find a manager. And you know, there are times that I just wanted to slide into the table. Uh, with the things that were said or the lack of in interest uh, that the candidate expressed at the interview. Um, they didn't get the job. They didn't uh, know what big developments were on the horizon, what problems that had done. Hey, we had a big brouhaha over a bond issue. They didn't know those things. And you're like, look, you, you, maybe, but no, if you didn't take the time ahead of time on the most important interview of your life, potentially, or at least at this stage of your life, you, you you don't deserve to be here. I would add one other thing to that. Don't just do the online research. Don't just read the minutes. Don't just read the newspaper articles about the city. Don't just talk to the city manager, but get in your car and drive the city. Drive around, look around. There's no better way to get a, a feel for a city and a town than driving its streets, shopping in its stores, going to get lunch at the local lunch counter or whatever those things are. To really get a feel for the city, you know, that's that's hard to do if you're moving from Michigan to Delray Beach. But if you're moving from Delray Beach to Boynton Beach, it's a lot easier to do. Or from, you know, Hills, even from Hillsborough to Lee County, it's not that far. And you'll do a better job of that. And I'm, I'm thinking about a rookie error, you know, they, whether they call themselves because we, we, we do polling, right? I have a polling and focus group research firm. And one of the first things we do when doing a city poll do they call themselves a village or a town or a city? Do they call themselves uh, are they commissioners or council members? Uh, and 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 that mistake uh, could 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 be like a dog whistle, right? That you don't really understand our community. And of course, you know it's only one element, but I think that's something you can control before you go into that interview. I was saying the bleak midwinter in February, I flew down from Chicago to Boynton Beach and I flew down a day early specifically to do what you have suggested, to get out into the community, talk with individuals, 
So I remember going to the beach and almost blowing past the guard at the beach. He says, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. You got to have a pass to get in here. And I said, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm coming in for an interview for city manager tomorrow, and I wanted to take a look at your beach. Is that okay? He says, oh, yeah, that's great. And then I got to talking to him as an employee um, about how we liked working for the city. Uh, and it was an opportunity for me to kind of get a flavor for the staff even before I even had my interview. And, then, you know, um, getting a sandwich someplace, talking to the proprietor of the business to try to get some information about the community, get information. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really very important. Yeah. And that's that's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that's like common sense. Until you're sitting in these interviews and they go, they, they, they don't even, they didn't even do the basic research. Uh, I've had that happen, you know, to look into higher employees. They don't have a clue what we do. And I'm like, if you're not willing to take that time now, uh, then I, I don't, you know, will you research our clients? Will you research our projects? All that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm laughing, uh, Kurt, because when I, I stuck out my thumb, the Zoom video that we're, which obviously the audience can't see, was was giving me a big thumbs up, and it's got this automatic response thing going on. Well, last thing, um, one additional project you're working on uh, is a is a Florida guide to city county manager searches. What what is that all about? There's uh, been a committee that's been set up, uh, and I'm I'm one of the members of that team. Uh, and then we're basically revamping um, a guide uh, to assist um, communities uh, when they need to hire a county or a um, city manager. And it's it's though I think the way the project it sounds like you're playing both sides of the aisle here. You're giving advice on how to how to be a good interviewee, and then you tell them how to be a good interviewer. Correct. And it, it provides not only to not only, but it also will provide resources to staff. Uh, for those communities that want to do their own search um, or how to engage a, a search firm or how to use the senior advisor program in the most effective way possible in order to get uh, the best possible candidates uh, in for an interview. So it's a it's a big project. And um, I'm just one of uh, five people that are on the team uh, that are working together. In fact, we've got a meeting, Zoom meeting in another week or so. Talk me off the ledge on something. My default when a when a you know county administrator or city manager um, position comes open, let let's just talk through natural attrition. Okay, city manager decide you know gets into drop and they retire. I'm not talking about the immediate firing for corruption or whatever, but the natural attrition. My instinct is always to try to hire from within to get the people who are loyal, who understand your city, because. Yeah, that person who flies in from Ohio with all respect and love or Detroit or Chicago, um, they don't know the city. They don't know the land. They haven't shown their loyalty. And there's only so much you can learn in an interview. So my default is to hire from within and promote those people who have dedicated their careers to your organization. I recognize that's not always the popular position, but talk me off the ledge on that. Well, if the outgoing manager has done their job, that's a great option. Because he, he or she has built the capacities in the organization in terms of leadership to have a candidate uh, that will be a good successor to um, the outgoing manager. In other cases, though, um, I think a number of councils and commissions are, in fact, short-sighted 
and they feel well we don't have to pay the moving expenses and as you said um if they don't have Florida experience um they really aren't of the same caliber of the people that we're looking for so i think there is for a lot of communities there is a bias uh towards uh hiring from within um sometimes it's been successful but um and other times it's really been a, a real a real expensive mistake uh for the community yeah you know and in in that i hear it all the time well we should be doing a national search to find the very best person possible i'm like well how do you it's so hard in an interview everybody's on their best behavior they put their best resume forward unless you're willing to do deep background searches and extensive interviews that's usually hard so you're right there's balance and if the city manager leaves with nobody behind especially in a smaller city where you only have really you know city manager and a few assistants that it, it makes a little bit more sense but i'm a loyalist and people who've given up their time and their energy and their hearts to local government I would default to, to hiring from within, but you make you make a really good point. That's dependent upon did the existing leader uh, do a good job of grooming and, and, and training staff accordingly. All right, so we normally have one last question, but I'm going to put a, make a twist on it. Normally, our last question is tell us something cool about your city. Well, you're technically retired. Tell us about your obsession with dead people. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, I find dead people. Um, and I'm good at it. Um, and it's really helped my forensic research skills. Um, I'm a Mayflower descendant, direct descendant from four of the passengers on the Mayflower that arrived in 1620 and um, sh shocked the heck out of me because I thought all my family came from Europe in the late 1800s. But lo and behold, there's a very narrow, narrow sliver of my family tree that goes back to 1620 uh, and part of the um, part of the founding of the country. So when that was confirmed, um, I really kind of enjoyed it. I had done some genealogy before and the Mayflower Society says, hey, you know, you're pretty good at this. Will you be one of our historians? And so I said, sure. Um, so I help people now uh, find their uh, Mayflower lineage uh, direct. And so in doing so, um, I look for and I find dead people because um, the information about their lives is very important because that provides the path uh, back to the Mayflower in a genealogical. So you got to prove each generation back to back to back to back all the way back to 1620 and prove it with documents, uh, primary or secondary documents. And so that's what the, the process is about. And I enjoy it. And I enjoy helping people. It's really kind of an extension of what I did as a city manager, helping people out and um, um, helping them fulfill their dreams to basically say, hey, I'm a direct descendant from somebody that came over in the Mayflower. Well, Kurt Bresner, I really appreciate that. That's that's kind of a cool little side gig you got going on there. Can you Folks, say one more personal yeah, item before? Yeah, absolutely. On? This is our 50th anniversary this year. So we've been married 50 years, and I want to do a shout out to my wife, Diane, who has been with me all the way through this journey. I love her very much, and I just am so happy um, that we're together. And she's put up with you for all these years. But she has. I, I like to say every day is a holiday with me, but that's Happy, certainly. Yeah, no, no. It's a holiday. She wants to take the day off, I think, is what she's saying. But she's like, yeah, so what does your husband do? He tracks down dead people and he helps unemployed people find jobs. 
<laughs> well, Kurt, thank you very much for being on and congratulations on your 50th wedding anniversary. That's a really cool accomplishment, especially when you don't roll your eyes, but you say it with a genuine uh, smile. Folks, this is Steve Van Core, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. Now, if you have a question you'd like to submit or future guests you'd like to suggest uh, to come on the show, just drop me an email at svancore at vancorejones.com. Thank you so much for being with us.